0: The year is 184 AD, the Han Dynasty has fallen. Now you, a nameless individual armed with only the power of friendship must take back your kingdom. long Fallen Dynasty is the newest game from action veterans Team Ninja. And with roots like Ninja Gaiden and influences like Sekiro, fans have had high expectations for what long could be. Does it hold up to the hype? Or is it just another Souls clone that's destined for a crushing defeat? Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and I'm a Wolong fan and a D-Kong stan.
1: I'm Jason, and I use two swords to compensate.
2: I'm Jackson, and we definitely didn't forget we passed TBM's two-year anniversary. Trust me, we definitely remember. And now... Let's get into it.
0: Wo Long Fallen Dynasty. You know, after how disappointed I was in the last game that I said was like one of my most anticipated games of the year, this one, I was like, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I made myself nervous. I went in thinking like, it can't be as bad as Atomic Heart, but that's a very low bar. <laughs> that was that was all I all I had in mind going into it. But boy howdy, this has been a good one, y'all. But I don't know that that's the <laughs> I don't know that that's the official opinion of TBM.
1: I've played a few Souls likes uh, at this point, not a huge number. And I, don't, I guess I don't really know if Elden Ring and Bloodborne even count as Souls-likes. But those are the only ones I've really played all that much. I like this better than either of those. The, Souls-bo- the Soulsborne formula is a little too, I guess, enshrouded in mystery. <laughs> Both yeah. intentionally and accidentally, I think. This game is very straightforward. It's just linear levels. I mean, I guess they loop back on themselves still. Uh, but you got nice, decent length, linear levels that have a really good boss fight at the end, and that's the part of Souls-likes that I enjoy the most is the boss fight is what I've determined. (laughs) Because let me tell you, getting to the boss fight and this game, maybe even more so, is uh, definitely a slog, in my opinion.
2: (laughs) Jackson,
0: how are you feeling about this
2: one? (laughs) Man... If I thought on our Elden Ring review, I found out I don't like Souls-likes, this one definitely made me learn it. <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and throw out that I have not beat the first boss of the game. And it's not because I haven't played a lot of the game. That's because I'm very bad at it.
0: Jackson's played more of this game than he has of other games we've done episodes on, and he still hasn't beaten the first boss. <laughs> No, uh, I'm, I'm going to be upfront here. This is like the most excited I've been by a game since Elden Ring. Like I adored my time with Wolong. I mean, I beat the game in its entirety, did every side quest. I started a new game plus, got like a third of the way through it again. Like I've really, really loved this game so far. My biggest gripe and my only like really significant gripe is the fact that this game might have one of the worst beginnings I have ever played in a game. Like, the first couple of hours are such a slap in the face to everything else the game is, and it sucks.
2: Yeah, because, like, at least in Elden Ring, when I know I didn't like the boss fights, I knew I liked the regular combat against enemies. And I was perfectly okay with, like, going out into the world to just, you know, grind some levels to get to... Be able to fight the boss easier because I enjoyed the regular combat. But the regular combat in this, the best I can describe it is, uh, if you've played Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it, it's that. Um, definitely not for the boss fights, but for the normal combat, pretty pretty similar to that. Uh, you just you just spam attack and they're dead. You don't gotta think.
1: He says having only played the tutorial.
0: Yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily the case after you get to the first game, or after you get to the first level. I would say, by and large, this game has a pretty good mix of enemies that are just fodder, like you can just cut them down like it's nothing, and bigger enemies that you sort of have to engage in that regular back and forth of, you know, attacks and parries and magic. And there's a lot of things that layer in on top of each other that make it significantly better, it's just that in the beginning, you don't have the tools you need to do that stuff. Both, yeah, you, you lack both the skills and the knowledge in the beginning. And this game does a very bad job of onboarding you in either of those ways. Yeah,
1: Jackson, let me tell you something important. Um, you think that the enemy variety is going to be boring and you can just press X. You know that tiger that you run into in the tutorial that you couldn't beat? That becomes a normal enemy type later.
2: That does make it sound better than what I've played.
1: And it's not like a less powerful version or anything. It's the same. (laughs) It just is that enemy.
0: Uh, There's an area, it's one of the last levels of the game, so I won't go too far into spoilers or anything. There's a small palace that just has like a dozen of them circling the perimeter. (laughs) And by the time you get to that point, they are no longer a threat like they're still one of the most aggressive enemies but i know that if as long as i can take them on -on one-on-one they are not a concern by the end of the game
2: yeah and i'm probably gonna be coming back to the first mission a lot because it's all i can talk about (laughs) um but i don't think there's too much more i can really talk about without us explaining how the game works at a basic level Sure. Jordan, I think you should take us through that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so in a lot of ways this game is sort of the quintessential Souls-like. You progress through a level, you fight enemies, you get experience, you level up at campsites, but if you die before you can make it to a campsite, you lose all the experience you earned since you were at the last one. Or in this case you lose half of it. Now that part works very much like any other Souls-like. The Every time you level up, you get one skill point that you can use to up a couple stats here and there. That part, very straightforward. What this game does differently is sort of two things. One, the level design. So as Jason mentioned before, these are separate, straightforward, linear levels. There is no open world here. The levels aren't connected in any way. You progress from point A to point B, where point B is a big boss fight, and then you move on to the next level. And within that each of those levels there are flag posts you have large flag posts small flag posts doesn't really matter but every time that you conquer a flag post you you increase a stack called morale and morale is basically a second level on top of your actual character level that resets every time you start a new mission so as you progress through a mission you kill enemies raise your morale You put down a flag, which stops your morale from being reduced when you die or take damage. And essentially, with each level, you're starting from scratch in that way, where if you have zero morale, even if you're a super high character level, you're still going to struggle to fight something with 10 more morale than you have. Vice versa, if you have like 25 morale, which is the highest it goes, and you're fighting even a boss who only has 20, because that's the highest theirs can go, you're going to have a huge advantage. So, every level sort of is its own separate from scratch, or has its own separate from scratch progression system. You go back to zero morale and you have to work your way back up to, you know, between 20 and 25. And I think that's what sells this game for me because it makes every mission feel like its own complete little package, but you still have these bigger progression hooks that carry you between them. Yeah. And, and
1: I think it I think it's a system that works pretty well. I think my issue at least in the early game and it, it definitely sounds like from what you've already said like it gets better as you go. I think in the early game there's a little bit too many of those just absolutely like pathetic enemies that can't do like any damage to you and you take out in two hits. But you don't really get like much morale from fighting enemies like that. I enjoy fighting, right. like, the big enemies. Like, I mentioned, um, we were talking earlier, before the podcast, I, I mentioned, like, this these hammer dudes, um, and they're very large enemies, and they carry a giant hammer, and fighting those guys is pretty difficult, even if you're several morale levels above them, just because, like, they hit hard, and they have a pretty decent chance to stagger you, and their timing is a little weird. I think it's something that's kind of hard to get used to.
2: Wow, I can't believe Team Ninja got the rights to the Hammer Bros from Mario.
1: But I do think. I I guess what what I'm trying to say is like, I like fighting the big guys. I think there's just way too many useless small enemies that you still have to fight. Because, I mean, I say like they can't do any damage to you, but generally when you run into them, there are a decent sized group of them. So they can still deal like a lot of damage to you. But. Whether you stop to fight them or you just run away, like you're not going to get very much morale. It just kind of feels like those enemies are a waste of your time.
0: I'm not going to pretend that there's like not any enemies like that as you go, but I think that the game just gets a little bit smarter about what it does with those enemies. It, it will like group them with more threatening enemies and things later, mm-hmm. so you have more of an emphasis to do AoE attacks or to pick people off from a distance. Basically, it just adds another layer of strategy that it doesn't necessarily give you in the beginning because it does kind of have you fight enemies in a line. Yeah. And I think that that's something that, that definitely improves as you go. There are still a lot of very weak enemies, but they're made better use of as you go.
1: I think it's probably a good time to mention the tutorial. Just yeah, kind of early on
0: yeah. uh, while we're
1: on this topic because the tutorial... It's major problem is that unlike the rest of the game, it is very unforgiving and very difficult. <laughs> uh, yeah, because like it- all the enemies up until the final boss of the tutorial are pretty weak, pretty easy to fight. There's one really high level enemy that you run into, which is completely optional. And if you don't want to fight it, you can completely avoid it. But then you yeah, get to... I found to- it
2: completely on accident. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You get to the final boss of the first of the, I guess it's weird to call it the final boss. You get to the boss of the tutorial level, and it is a really long and complex um, two-phase fight. And both phases are pretty difficult if you're still just learning how to play the game. And at that point, you really haven't fought too many enemies that force you to parry, because a major part of the combat in this game is parrying. Enemies will telegraph their moves pretty openly, but you don't always know exactly what the timing is going to be for an attack. So there's, you know, definitely a learning curve early on where you need to figure out like what the proper time to press the parry button is. Because if you press it at the wrong time, it'll use up a lot of your stamina, like a quarter of it. Yeah. And if your stamina runs out, like if you are parrying an enemy that's comboing you and you're not hitting the parries properly, you're going to get stunned at the end of the combo. And then you're probably going to die. I think the first level kind of really incentivizes you to kind of gra- uh, grind the morale levels because of how difficult that boss is. And there are so many of those absolutely worthless enemies throughout the path that it takes a really long time to get your morale level up to a decent level because I think in the first level the even if you get all the flags like it can it only goes up to like 13 or 14. <laughs> so you're kind of forced to just go back and forth between two of the checkpoints so you can respawn the enemies there and just fighting all the enemies between them, but it takes, you know, 2 seconds to fight each enemies and it's just a really long walk.
0: <laughs> yeah. And my my response was probably no better. I didn't do any grinding, but I probably just went in underprepared and was just banging my head against the wall for what felt like an eternity, just until I finally got my footing with this boss.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of funny because we had the exact same uh experience with when we actually beat it, where we died like a hundred times, we were on that first tutorial level for like an hour, and then the last time we went to the final boss, we got like a flawless victory basically. <laughs> Didn't get hit a single time.
0: Right. When I finally did manage to, like, get the parry timing down, I just absolutely obliterated the guy. But my biggest problem isn't that the tutorial is that hard. Like, honestly, I wouldn't say it's that much harder than the first boss of any given Souls-like game. The real problem is the fact that nothing else in the game is like it. Yeah. I died more in the tutorial of this game than I did on any other boss in the game. The only other boss that even put up a little bit of a fight in comparison is like a boss that's in the exact midpoint of the game. And that boss was actually advertised with the game as being like, you're not you're not going to be able to handle this guy. And he put up significantly less of a fight than the tutorial boss did. Yeah. It really feels like like I'm not exaggerating. It feels like the first boss is supposed to be a guaranteed loss. Like you're supposed to lose the fight and the game just doesn't let you.
1: And it's really a, it's annoying because like you said, the levels afterwards are not that difficult. I mean, no, not at all. I had a little bit of trouble no. with the second level, just kind of getting to grips with how everything worked. But the third and fourth levels I beat without dying a single time. Like
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, the the back half of the game, I could probably count on one hand the number of times I died. Period. It's a it is not a difficult game once you figure out how it works. It's just that it expects you to figure out how it works in a in a confoundingly small amount of time. Like the tutorial the tutorial of this game sucks. And it doesn't just suck, it's it, it sucks in a way I don't I can't even, like, comprehend what they were going for.
1: And I feel like it throws a lot of words at you in the beginning. Like, the different styles that you can upgrade, or forms, I guess. Um, Every time you level up, you have five forms, phases. I can't remember exactly what they're called off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, And you can choose one of those to put a point in. And they all affect different things. But I, (laughs) I don't feel like the game really adequately explains what each one does Um, it shows you like the stats that it increases and most of them are pretty simple but it's not always clear what raising a stat is gonna do um and
0: sometimes it doesn't sound like something's going to be especially useful when it actually is like for example you could put a point in a in a particular stat and it'll reduce like your stack it'll or it'll increase your stagger damage from like 100% to like 100.86%. Like it doesn't sound like it's anything, but in reality that can matter a lot once you have several points in that tree. It's it is it's I hate to say this, but I think this is a game that almost wants you to use supplementary materials. Like, I was enjoying it a lot, and I made it to, like, level, I don't know, probably like the fifth or sixth mission without too much trouble, but around that point, I watched a video breaking down the individual stats and making some suggestions for which skill trees to play with and which spells to try out, depending on, like, if you wanted to play this way, do this, and it was, like, a 20-minute video, and after I watched that, I had so much, like, I, I enjoyed everything about the game just a little bit more. Because suddenly, like, stuff was clicking about the progression system. I understood how gear worked. You know, I, I got the concept of gear differently. Like, I knew, I was I figured out I was basically trying to use magic the wrong way. Like, there was a, I learned so much from just, like, one medium-length video explaining stats. And, like, that fundamentally changed how I played the game. And I think it's something that I found myself doing with most Souls-like games. Which, like. I don't want to say it's a bad thing, because I think that engaging with a game in that way is also kind of cool sometimes, but I also think it shows a pretty fundamental failing that these games can't just, like, tell you what they're doing. I don't know why it, I don't know why there needs to be a video where someone takes all the dumb jargon and turns it into words that people actually use for me to understand it like they could just not use all the dumb jargon in the first place and that would solve that problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's honestly been one of my big gripes with Souls-like games. Is that they they do they all require you to look for outside sources if you want to actually understand what's going on. Yeah. And like you can play through and figure things out on your own for the most part. Like it's possible, but Some of the things that you need to play through and figure out on your own are things that in any other game would just be explained properly.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, like, I had this problem with Elden Ring, too. Uh, And it it was worse than Elden Ring. Because, like, I really liked the sense of discovery in that game. But the fact that there's no in-game tracking for any of your quests. And I'm not saying, like, I want quest markers. I don't. I definitely prefer... Like, the way that it gives you the quest and people telling you, just kind of giving you, like, an idea of where you need to go or telling you about landmarks, stuff like that. Like, I definitely prefer getting your quest that way, but Elden Ring had that... I I just wish there was a journal so I could see what people had said to me in previous conversations.
0: Yeah. Which, Elden Ring has actually sort of fixed that, because at least it tells you if it like when you first meet an npc it marks them on the map now and mm-hmm. if they move it tells you where they move to which is nice but like i still feel like it wasn't it's a little it's too little too late i guess you could say yeah <laughs> um
1: i mean i'm it, sure i'll go back and play elden ring sometime and try to actually like yeah. finish it but yeah and, and those things will be nice but what, what i'm really trying to say is just that all of these souls likes have require you to do stuff outside of the game that really should just be in the game for sure. <laughs> and it gets on my, ears. Just,
0: it sucks too, because like, I, I don't see how Wo long being kind of obtuse about how certain things work as adding anything to the game. Like it would be one thing if it was like some really experimental and unique idea that was like really built into the game. But really what it ends up feeling like is just they left out the materials that are supposed to explain stuff to you. Yeah. And I don't know. That kind of sucks.
1: I think, though, we've spent enough time on Gripes. I really enjoyed the game as well. Um, I didn't have as much time as I would have liked to have played it this past couple weeks. Uh, But like all the time that I was playing it, I generally enjoyed. There was a couple of bosses that I got stuck on. (laughs) Yeah. those kind of got on my nerves. But, you know, like, that's part of the Souls-like experience. And once you beat the boss, like, it's super satisfying. Yeah. It makes all of the time that you spent banging your head into a wall worth it.
0: Now, one thing that I think this game does extremely well that I think that other games, not even just other Souls-like, I just think other games in general could really learn from, is how it handles magic and abilities. So you have this once like stamina bar i the game has some weird technical term for it but it's a stamina bar and it actually your stamina is not full by default it's at like the midpoint by default and as you land hits it goes up and as you take hits it goes down or vice versa i I could have that backwards either way uh The better you do, the more stamina you have to use, and the worse you do, the less you have to use. And all of your magic and abilities pull from that stamina. So you might have, um, you know, a spell that throws a quick fireball that consumes like one quarter of a stamina gauge, or you could have a spell that rains fire down on the battlefield that uses a full stamina bar, but... In the end, stamina comes back really quickly, especially if you're actively in combat and you're landing hits and doing parries and things like that. So, once you get a good feel for some magic, for some spells you like, and for some weapon techniques you really like, you can be throwing off magic and abilities left and right. And I really, really like that in a game. I like when a game does not make you budget MP or mana or whatever that game's take on the magic bar is. Like, I like when a game just lets you throw stuff out left and right. And because of that, you can do some really cool stuff in this game. Because, you know, if you inflict fire damage, enough will inflict burn. And if you do enough ice damage, it'll freeze them. And if you do enough shock it, or enough electricity damage, it'll shock them. And there's also a mechanic where every time you inflict a status effect, the enemy is briefly staggered. So what you could hypothetically do, and what I like to do a lot by the end of the game, is I'd be throwing out ice spells to fill up their freeze gauge. And then I'd switch over and start doing some electric... Or, you know, like, do like an electric charge on my weapon so they do electric damage. And I'd fill that one up. And then I'd switch over and do some poison damage so I could fill that up. And if I did that in just the right way, and I combined that with weapon abilities that would let me close the distance on an enemy quickly or something... I could just be like, just raining stuff down on these guys and jump from enemy to enemy to enemy without ever stopping. And like, it took a lot to get to that point, like learning the mechanics and getting the levels you need to access the spells. But once I was there, it was fantastic. Like, I really, really like the way this game does all of your magic and abilities. I I wish more games would be this generous with how you could use them.
1: Yeah, it's honestly kind of hard to get used to having functionally unlimited magic. Because, like, some of the spells are even fairly powerful. I mean, none of them are like. It's not like you get Ultima or anything like that. It's not like you're <laughs> yeah. instantly killing anyone with them. But, or at least not major enemies. But I like being able to do things like put elemental status effects on my weapons really easily without it ruining the next combat encounter that i get into it kind of makes it to where every single encounter you get into is its own problem to solve yeah and you can use your magic however you want without having to worry about you know getting screwed later because maybe you need maybe you're fighting a bunch of enemies that are weak to a certain element and it's like oh well I wasted it all using fire weapon on a random enemy 20 minutes ago. <laughs> that said, I think something I really liked about the game is how unique every weapon type feels. For and sure. I, know this, I love It was weapons. kind of the same in Elden Ring, but I definitely don't think it was to this level where every single weapon that you get in the game feels entirely different. It has different attack timings, different block timings parries (laughs) i guess not every single weapon but every single weapon type like yeah playing the game with dual swords is not even remotely the same as playing with a single sword yeah and also every weapon has unique animations or rather every weapon type unique animations and cool designs like it's it's a very cool system that they have in place there i'm mostly stuck with the dual swords because I, I like kind of getting in and quickly dealing smaller amounts of damage, but just being able to get in and get out without too much of a hassle.
0: I personally stuck to spears because I liked, uh, if, you, if you're being very parry-reliant, you could do these long sweeping attacks on the counter with spears that I really, really liked. Spears also have some really cool moves. Like I talked about needing to close the distance if I wanted to line up magic and stuff. And a lot of spears have an ability where you like, jam the spear into the ground and use it as like a vault almost to throw yourself towards enemies Mm -hmm. and that really comes in handy i didn't even like touch the weapon abilities for probably the first third of the game but when i finally started using them i used them constantly yeah Um,
1: maybe i just haven't gotten a good weapon for it yet but I, i didn't find the weapon abilities for the dual swords to be super useful
0: oh yeah they tend to just be like a big flurry of swings but they don't necessarily change like the range or your positioning or anything. Yeah. Which I found less useful than larger weapons abilities.
1: There's one like where you jump backwards and then kind of do a big swing. I think the regular sword has a really similar kind of uh, ability. I don't know. It didn't seem as useful because like I'm, you know, you jump backwards and you do that big swing, but when you're doing the swing, you're moving forward. So you end up at the same spot. If there were more like mobility abilities and maybe there are and I just haven't gotten to them. I kind of wish they would get introduced earlier.
0: I do think this game withholds some cool stuff a little bit too long. Um, Like there is a lot of really unique weapons and stuff that are not introduced until most of the way through the game. And I think part of that's intentional because it does want to reward you with new stuff as you go. But at the same time, I think it holds back a little bit too much. Um, now what it does not hold back on is the quantity of new stuff, (laughs) (laughs) because you will, you will pick up new gear of some kind approximately every five seconds in this game, and, uh, it's a, it's a waste of time, because generally speaking, everything is ranked for you before you even pick it up, (laughs) and, uh, the higher the rank, it is significantly better, So even though every enemy's dropping a weapon for you to pick up, it doesn't matter unless it's like three stars minimum. So you just end up with, I I mean, I think the game even gives you 500 equipment slots in your inventory to begin with, so it knows it's overdoing it. (laughs) But uh, it it just throws gear at you constantly, and you can largely ignore 90% of it. Especially as you get later in the game where you're only, where you only care about four star weapons anymore. So, like, why are you even giving me the rest? Because the four stars are so much better than the first three. So, I don't, I don't know. Um, now that is one thing I actually, that, that's a good lead in to one thing I actually like about this game that I think is a little bit more, uh, controversial. I think it's kind of hit or miss with people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, every piece of, armor and every weapon you get has these passive slots on them and those slots can have any kind of buff you could imagine it could be to damage it could be to health it could be uh, reducing how much it weighs it could be how much it builds up a certain element or how much damage over time you have with that element there's something like 150 modifiers you can have on any given weapon um and With those modifiers, at first they seem a little unnecessary because it'll be like plus 3% damage over time with fire magic, which doesn't feel like anything. But once you get to where you have a full set of four star armor and you're using four star weapons or five star once you're in new game plus, but I'm not too worried about that part of it. But once you have like a full set of armor and weapons that each have like four or five of those passive perk slots and you have the resources to start min maxing with, you know, when you put which perk into which piece of armor and whatever or whatever, Mm -hmm. you can do some buck wild stuff. Like between all the combinations, I had it to where I was building up ice status effects like two and a half times as fast as I was by default. And I, w- I had it set where electricity, like they would stay in that shock status effect for like three or four times as long as normal. And I made it to where I was using very, very, very little stamina anytime I would cast low level spells. Like so little you could almost not see it on the bar. Because I really took the time to go in and think about what. I should have in every single slot of every single piece of armor. And I think that that turns into something that probably is overwhelming for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. probably wasn't super necessary, but because of it, I felt incredibly powerful. Like I, I completely crushed the last couple of bosses in this game. Like the final boss, I think was down in like 30 seconds. Like every single hit was doing like, I don't know, like 20% of its health bar. And considering I was doing like six or seven hit combos, like it was, it was wild.
1: Was like focusing on status effects. One of the things that you found when you watched that video.
0: Yes. Yes, it was.
1: I, I wish that the game had made it more clear how effective status effects were because the only reason I really found out is because I had, you get partner characters for some of the battlegrounds as you're playing through the game. I assume you get probably one for just about every battleground.
0: At uh, least one. Sometimes it's two, or well, sometimes it's two. The most it could be is two.
1: I had a partner in one mission that kept uh, putting the shock status effect on like water enemies because it only takes you know a single lightning spell to do it. Uh, mm. And up until then, I hadn't really been using status effects at all. And then she started doing that in missions, and it was insane how much of a difference it made for fighting those enemies because you know she wouldn't use a lightning uh, a lightning attack and i didn't have a lightning weapon equipped at that point or i didn't have the lightning weapon spell equipped at that point i was having a lot of trouble taking down those enemies it, it's just it's such a game changer and the game doesn't really make it clear in any way i didn't even really yeah. know that status effects were a thing at that point
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, the game does not advertise that side of itself whatsoever. And I think that part of the problem with that is the fact that they are a bit on the weaker side, unless you're exploiting a specific elemental weakness. But if you're using the right gear and the right perks in your gear to buff up, you know, whatever types of magic you stick to, mm-hmm. you can deal just astronomical damage. Both burst damage and damage over time and like for example like the lightning status effect uh enemies aren't they won't recover stamina as long as they're in the shock status effect which is really nice because it means that you can get in build up a little bit of stamina or you know build up a little bit of stagger shock them so that won't go back down and then you have room to breathe so you can get back and heal up or you know you can get into a better position to cast better spells and there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with it that admittedly is probably a bit too weak unless you are building specifically to those things this game has a lot of build crafting in it but i also think it's largely optional if you are good enough at just you know movement parrying the regular soulsborne stuff
1: yeah, it's kind of interesting how important parrying is in this game when there's also a dodge roll, but the dodge roll is so terrible that if you use it, it's basically just a guarantee that you're going to get hit by whatever you're trying to dodge. Unless it's like a low level en- enemy with like no range on their attack.
0: Yeah, the only time that I would ever rely on the dodge roll is if I was already like pretty far from them and I was just doing it to be as safe as possible that i was out of that range
1: Mm -hmm. i say it's interesting just because like i feel like mobility and positioning is so important to this game but then in what what would be your most important tool for controlling your position and mobility
0: is just useless (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, it is very strange. I mean, I know part of it is just because they really, really wanted you to parry everything. And that is one thing that's interesting. You can parry literally every attack in this game, um, which is not the case with almost any other game in this genre. So, I mean, it is the key part of your kit. Regardless of what build you're doing, what weapons you're using, what spells, you are going to have to parry a lot, especially in boss fights. And I'm actually fine with that, but it definitely takes getting used to.
1: I think that the boss fights, by the time you beat them, they're not very difficult for the most part. Just because, like, you'll probably die to a boss, you know, a couple times. Maybe even, like, a lot. (laughs) But generally, by the time that you're actually able to beat the boss, it's because you figured out the timing for, at the very least, most of their attacks,
0: and I think that that's sort of the core thing about this whole genre that I really love. It's that, sure, there are these RPG mechanics that you can exploit to make yourself more powerful, and there are systems that you can use to overcome challenges in unexpected ways. And that's great. But at the end of the day, these are games about learning and adapting. And I really, really love that feeling of that first time you go into a big fight and you're just totally overwhelmed. But then by the end, you know how to handle everything they can throw at you. And that evolution feels good in this game every time. I think this game, if anything, is actually too easy because other than that first level, again, that's absolute garbage. But I think the game's actually a bit too easy because a lot of the bosses I was able to beat on the first try. Uh, I would say probably about half the bosses I beat on the first try and then like, a third of them I beat on the second or third try. And then there was just like two that took way more than that. So overcoming their strengths was more over the course of one long fight instead of over Mm -hmm. multiple attempts like I'm used to. But even when I would beat them on the first try, there was still that learning curve, which was still really cool. This game is actually pretty forgiving with health and restoration items and stuff too. So even if you're doing bad, you can still stretch out a fight a long time to learn more about their moves and figure out positioning and pacing and timing on parries and stuff like that.
1: I feel like a big part of that is that enemies don't, I guess they don't combo their moves together a huge amount. Maybe that changes as you get further in the game, yeah. but even the big boss fights in the first half of the game, which like I said, that's really all I've played at this point. Generally, like, they'll have moves that'll have multi hits. Like, they have multi hit combos, but they're not going to use one really big attack and then another really big attack and, like, really test you on your timing for a lot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it'll have a really big attack and then plenty of time to recover. <laughs> I think the enemies get harder to fight as you lower their health at least a little bit, uh, they get more desperate, and they'll use their moves closer together. But it really gives you that time early on in the fight to figure out what this enemy can do and how fast it's going to do it. Yeah, for sure. And I I think that's a big part of making, you know, this parry-focused combat really work. And I haven't played Sekiro, but I imagine it's very similar in that game.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of shared DNA between these games. It's really unsurprising this game is as polarizing as it is. Like I said, it's my favorite game that I've played in a very, very long time. But, well, almost exactly a year's time. But I genuinely can't blame people in the slightest for just bouncing off of this game early on. Like, its I don't think it's a skill issue. I don't think it's on the players that try this first mission and just give up. Like, I think it is just genuinely, like, abysmal design. I think that as much as I liked about this game, it is still a hard sell. And I've had several people that I've convinced to give this game a try just because I've liked it so much. And all of them have sort of cursed me out for (laughs) how much the beginning of the game sucks. Um, Most people have liked it once they've gotten past that point, but I do have, I mean, Jackson and I have another friend that just never got past that first boss fight and, I don't think that's a failing on them. I do think it's a failing on the game in some level.
1: Yeah. And then there's also just the fact that like not every game's for everyone.
0: Yeah, you know? for sure.
1: I, I feel like and don't think this the wrong way, Jackson, but Jackson was never gonna like this
2: game. Amen. <laughs> like
1: just because you know, he's played a couple Soulsborns before at this point. I you know, at the very least he's played Elden Ring. I assume you've yeah. played at least one other.
2: I played some of Sekiro. Um that's it.
1: Yeah, so like at this point he knows that this game or these games aren't like yeah. his cup of tea.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like I, I know that for the most part for them I will enjoy the minute to minute combat. I know I'm not gonna enjoy the bosses. Like I just already know that by now.
1: Yeah, and for me I think it's kind of the opposite, where I only really enjoy the bosses, and I kinda of find most of the downtime between them to be boring (laughs) even i don't know even if you're fighting like groups of smaller enemies it's never quite as much of a thrill as the boss fights and I, i i think this game is really pretty and i think there are a couple of levels that i've played so far that are like really fun to explore in particular there's one that's in like a valley i guess kind of a canyon and there's like a lot of mesas and bridges between rock formations and stuff like that that you get to explore, but some of the missions, other than that, I just I didn't really care about <laughs> aesthetically. Uh, so it wasn't like it was super fun to explore. Some of them are a lot more linear than others, I guess I could say. Like that one with all the bridges in the canyon was really cool because there were so many nooks and crannies to explore and they would hide items in those nooks and crannies. But eh, in some of the other levels, it just kind of felt like a straight dash from point A to point B. And I mean, maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough, but like the bamboo for the bamboo forest was pretty, but I didn't really feel like there was too much out of the way to look for.
0: I think the... I really like the, the level designs mostly. I think that the way the, the formula that they use for these levels was one of the things that really got me hooked on this game. In that I do think some of the levels are they lean a bit too much towards the linear side, but I still think by and large they did a good job of putting a lot of interesting things to find inside of each level. And I think that each level each level kind of feeling like its own separate thing, I think really carried me through a lot of the parts of the game that weren't as exciting like um you know even if it was a level that was less aesthetically interesting or that was a little too straightforward i still felt like i was getting so much out of each individual fight and each item i picked up and everything that i was still really into it i don't think it's going to be everybody's cup of tea like i think that there will be there will be people that have now played elden ring and think that there's like no other right way to make the world of a game like this and it by no means comes even close to Elden Ring's level of detail and just general excitement but I do think that what they did is a really good take on this formula and I think that it was such a good like it was such a good take that it helped me forgive some of the stuff that I would be less forgiving of in a similar package I just really like this game y'all <laughs> <laughs> Uh, game of the Year, 10 out of 10. Well, 10 out of 10 is not fair. Uh, It is my favorite game I've played this year so far, which is really saying something, because there have been two other exceptional games I've played, one of which we haven't reviewed yet. <laughs> um, So I think the fact that it, it's still above those in my eyes is, is a real testament to how, how much I've enjoyed it. But I also know this is not going to be for everybody. And I know that that beginning is rough, even if... Even if you really like this genre, even if you really like what you're seeing in the game, that intro is bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, i I did really enjoy it. Like I said, I think it's really pretty. I think it's really well choreographed. Like, and I I really enjoy how different all of the weapons feel and how interesting the magic system is. But you know, at the at the end of the day, I you know, I I also kind of need to admit. Souls-likes aren't necessarily my cup of tea, you know. Also, I do have to say, maybe my experience was slightly ruined by, um, I mean, we don't necessarily have to hide it. I feel like we we announced what next week's episode's going to be, or we announced what this week's episode was going to be last week. So I I don't feel like it's too bad to say, like, we're doing Resident Evil Remake next week, (laughs) or the next couple weeks. And I played that game. I played the first chapter of the game. While I was playing this. And I got to a point in that game where I was like, I need to put this down. Because I am enjoying this significantly more so far. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to play a decent amount of Woe Long if I keep playing Resident Evil Remake.
0: That's one thing that made me very happy that I finished Woe Long as quickly as I did. This game could have been twice as long and I would have been thrilled. But I was kind of glad to finish it before Resident Evil 4 came out. So I could kind of just play that. And oh boy, I'm excited to record an episode on that one. <laughs> so,
1: it's a good game, but it was hampered by the fact that every second I was playing Woe Long was time I could have been playing Resident Evil 4 Remake.
0: Which is the criticism we've leveled against many games on this podcast. <laughs> I know, it's I
1: unfair, mean, but it's like what happened to Horizon Zero Dawn, for example. You know, a lot of people really like that game. Yeah, both Horizon <laughs> games. Where they just dropped so close to something else that was incredible and didn't get the attention that, from my understanding, they rightfully deserved. <laughs> and while I wasn't like a huge fan of Zero Dawn, I definitely wouldn't have been playing Zero Dawn when Breath of the
2: Wild came out, you know? <laughs> For sure. And see, the, the issue they had with Call of the Mountain was that no one wants a PSVR 2.
1: I want a PSVR 2. Just for Gran Turismo VR.
0: There's been a lot working against the Horizon series in every release. <laughs> so. nothing,
2: in the, nothing in the games themselves, though. It's always something completely out of their control. Yeah. I
1: do plan on like sitting down and giving the Horizon games another shot at some point. Who knows when? Sadly, I do a weekly gaming podcast. Or a bi-weekly gaming podcast. So <laughs> finding time for a game that long is going to be difficult. <laughs> I guess I could probably play it on Steam Deck. Jackson, do you want to give your final thoughts on Wolong? Or is the fact that you only played the tutorial enough of a final thought?
2: Yeah, I only played the tutorial and the tutorial is bad. And nothing (laughs) like the rest of the game.
1: I mean, it's not nothing like the rest of the game. It's still functionally similar.
2: I give the tutorial a 3 out of 10. No fun.
0: I mean, I would agree Um, with
2: that, honestly. Like The rest of the game, no thoughts, because I haven't played it. Rest in peace, Blindfold Boy. He dies? I don't know, I figured he did. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, I mean, I I assume he
0: did. You know what, as someone who has finished the game, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, He comes back multiple times, he might still be dead, I don't know. (laughs) Um yeah the game uh uh we didn't really talk about it we didn't get too into the story i think mostly because on the surface it just doesn't matter much to me but maybe someone that knew more about china's history or the specific because you meet a lot of characters that are important figures from myths and legends that like the only one I'd even heard of was Guan Yu and the only one I knew about the only reason I knew about Guan Yu was because he's mentioned in Hades. So like it's just totally out of my norm. So I didn't want to like diss it in any way, but also just like it didn't really phase me either way.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to say anything necessarily bad about the story. But I don't feel like I have the knowledge that I needed to appreciate it. <laughs> um, and after about a quarter of the way through the game, I ended up skipping the really long cutscenes.
0: <laughs> Which there are a handful, so almost every level ends with a pretty lengthy cutscene, actually. But anyways, Long: Fallen Dynasty. If you like Souls-likes, give it a shot. If you do not, this is probably not the one that's going to break the streak for you.
1: But, it, you know, it might. I enjoyed it more than some of the other Souls-likes I played, so... I would recommend this game to anyone with a strong interest in Chinese myth and lore. Myth and history. Lore is similar to history. I might just yeah. have Destiny Brain now though. <laughs>
0: yeah. Jackson. Happens you to gave the it to us, it's contagious.
1: Uh and anybody that, you know, really likes the Souls like formula. You know, I mean if you really like Neo or Sekiro or Elden Ring, I don't see why you wouldn't like this game. <laughs> If you really like, which was the Dark Souls where it was all about shields, was that Dark Souls One?
0: Um, I don't know for sure. I haven't. played If you the really like Dark, Dark Souls
1: One, but you only played with a sword and shield, uh, this might not be the game for you. I don't think there are any <laughs> shields.
0: What a loss. <laughs> well, it's already a lot of woe-long talk, so I think that means it's time to pull the plug. <laughs> Jackson, what is something else you have been into?
2: Alright, this is finally the part of the episode where I have something to say. (laughs) So I've been watching a very, very good new show. Well, I've actually finished it now. Called Shrinking. It's uh, yet another Apple TV show with Bill Lawrence behind it. Because I guess he just does everything on Apple TV these days. It's very good it it stars um jason is it seagull seagull okay yeah uh the one from how i met your mother that isn't barney or ted
1: no no be more specific the one from the muppets movie yeah,
2: yeah the one from the muppets movie that also is not barney or ted i don't know if there's any barneys or ted in muppets movie but just in case <laughs> okay. um got that out of the way we know who we're but, talking about he, now. he's
1: the one from the muppets movie that isn't kermit or miss piggy
2: that isn't a muppet there we but go. anyways yeah this is yet another uh apple plus show with bill lawrence of scrubs fame behind it about oh god he's circling health. back around <laughs> So, uh,
1: this show, it's a Apple TV original, right? From Bill Lawrence, creator of Cougar Town?
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's the show that he, he puts at the top of his resume. <laughs>
2: um, but, yeah, this show no, is so good, though. It's, it's very
0: good. This is probably my favorite show on television right now. I mean, Ted wow. Lasso is still, like, a very, very strong contender for that, and we are in the middle of a new season, but, like in terms of just single season impact i think shrinking is like 10 out of 10 absolutely flawless
1: you know i've always had a fairly negative opinion of apple as a company but i have to say some of these apple tv originals are knocking it out of the park yeah yeah i mean obviously ted lasso is incredible i really enjoyed the morning show i think i talked about that ages ago for one yeah. of the pulling oh the plugs yeah segment. it's been a while And then shrinking, (laughs) like it's, it's, I don't necessarily, I'm not super interested in watching a lot of the other Apple TV originals, but those three shows are so good. (laughs) And I don't really think there's anything that Netflix is putting out that's quite on the same level as those shows.
0: No, definitely not.
1: Also, Hulu makes originals.
0: (laughs) They're also there. Jackson, tell us a little bit more about shrinking.
2: <laughs> so, as I said, uh, shrinking is yet another Bill Lawrence... Oh my god, start movie. with
0: the plot. Do not do this again.
2: Uh, the big focus here is grief. So it's all about this dude named Jimmy, played by Jason Seagall, who is a therapist whose wife had died a year earlier. And he has not handled it very well. Most importantly, he hasn't been there for his daughter. And that has made a lot of issues. Why are you talking like this? I don't know. I I don't I don't know. Why? It's like you're explaining it to like
0: second graders, but like this is a really dark show to be explaining to second graders.
1: <laughs> I was thinking of those videos on YouTube. Uh, I sent you one a while ago, George, just to talk about how his voice sounds the same in all the videos. The dude that does like the hidden secrets or whatever in movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know that in Pirates of the Caribbean?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, anyways, anyways, sorry. Anyways, so recently when doing his job as a therapist, he learns that he feels a lot better from helping out his patients. So he starts doing some crazy things that therapists shouldn't be doing his co-workers uh harrison ford being one of them uh he's in this and he's also very good in it
1: harrison ford's good in everything he's ever been in
2: yeah i've only seen harrison ford in three things that being this star wars and blade runner and like he's 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 good in all of them um
0: this is a really weird role for him in my opinion though but he knocks it out of the park like every single episode he is
2: yeah this is the role
1: he's done that i feel is the most similar to how he is in real life
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know what he's like in real life but sure
1: every time he talks about han solo he's just like i am so done with this please get me (laughs) out of here i don't want to work with these people anymore yeah uh and that's basically what his character in this show is like
0: (laughs) yeah i think there's a lot that this show does that's really interesting like this idea of a therapist who's telling his patients how he feels like without a filter and getting like super involved in their lives to his own detriment, I think is a really cool concept. But I think what's most exciting about the show for me is that this is a, this is a stacked cast. I mean, Jason Siegel, Jessica Williams and Harrison Ford, like they are sort of like the, the focus of the show, but there's really like eight characters that are all fundamental to the show and every two characters in this show have some really deep and complex relationship with each other that's explored in so many cool ways like you can draw a line between any two characters in the show and there is some like there's a backstory there's complicated feelings there's some conflict between them it's addressed in some way like all the characters have these really fascinating interweaving connections that I think is so smartly done.
2: Like every character knows each other in some way or another.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Even if they have like, even if their backgrounds aren't necessarily related, they're still like connected in some way. And it's just very smart. Like everything about the show is smart. And that's something that I really appreciate. Like it's, it's hysterical and it's hard hitting But at the end of the day, the writing is just so perfect. Like it's very pure and it's very realistic, but it never gets in the way of it being entertaining. And I think that that's like the highest praise I can give a show. Like the same reason I love Ted Lasso so much is that it's a, it's a ridiculous setting where some ridiculous stuff happens, but everything feels very grounded
2: and real and important. Mm. And it's, Like I mentioned, the show is very heavily about how people handle grief. And I mean, first off, I have not seen too, too many uh, shows, but I have I've not seen a show handle the topic of grief as well as this one has. It's very much shows how everyone deals with it in a completely different way that to other people just makes zero sense at all. But to the one person going through it, like it makes perfect sense to them and how it changes the people that it affects and the changes how the way that it changes them also changes the people around them. And it's very good and very clever. And I still think I like Ted Lasso more, but it's it's right up there beside it. (laughs) Um, But that's all for me this week. So, Jason, what have you been into?
1: Uh, Yeah, I've been watching this uh, show on Apple TV Plus called Shrinking, created (laughs) by Bill Lawrence of Scrubs fame. (laughs) So it's basically a Bill Lawrence of Scrubs fame sitcom on Apple TV Plus. Uh, But no, in all seriousness, I've been sitting down with my Steam Deck quite a bit these past couple of weeks. uh, And I've been playing through Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Not a huge anime guy. (laughs) Um, you know, like in high school and college, I watched a fair amount of anime and Dragon Ball Z was always one of those animes that I really enjoyed. I think mostly because of its simplicity in a lot of ways <laughs> where every episode and every arc more or less is just like, how strong can these two shirtless guys get before they beat each other up? <laughs> There's just something so fun and pure about that that I really enjoy. And I'm sure that there's plenty of people who will be like, no, it's so much deeper than that. But like, I don't care. I don't want to know what's beneath the surface. I'm completely happy with seeing the dude's yellow hair get taller. <laughs> uh, and Dragon Ball Z Kakarot is essentially just kind of a retelling of the Dragon Ball Z series. And I think it goes into Dragon Ball Super quite a bit as well, but structured as an RPG, where you get to kind of play through multiple characters' perspectives and you get to play through all the major arcs and all the cool major battles in the show. And as someone that didn't finish Dragon Ball Z and hasn't watched any of Dragon Ball Super yet, I I think it's been a fun way to re experience the stuff that I have played or I have watched, as well as trying to, you know, learn a little bit more about the show and dive a little bit deeper and See the arcs that I didn't actually watch on TV. But also get to actually play through the fights. <laughs> it's been really fun. Uh, I will say it, it's a little repetitive. I might slow down with how I've been playing it. Because uh, I've generally been doing about like one arc of the show slash game per week. And it, it's definitely starting to kind of wear out its welcome. But it's a really fun game. I I would recommend it. And it's definitely a good game to play on Steam Deck just because like you don't really have to pay attention (laughs) unless you're in a battle and the battles only last for a couple of minutes generally. It's Pretty fun. Definitely a great Steam Deck game. For some reason, it doesn't say it's Steam Deck verified, though. And I I don't know why, because it runs fine and (laughs) controls fine and everything. I haven't had any issues with it. I didn't expect to get too much out of the uh, co-host here on this topic, but you know, <laughs> yeah. if you're a Dragon Ball Z fan and you know you're thinking about picking up Kakarot and you haven't done it yet, it's pretty good, and you can probably get it on sale. Especially, I think spring some, uh, Steam is doing its spring sale soon, or it might have already happened. I don't know. I don't really keep track <laughs> of that. <them. laughs> I know they do a spring sale. And I yeah. know it is now spring. So, yeah. If you were thinking about it, but you weren't 100% sure, I'd recommend picking it up. It definitely goes a lot deeper into the story than the Xenoverse games, which kind of did the same thing, but there was a whole time travel part and you had a, you know, customized creator character.
0: Yeah. Well, they were like telling their own story that was like about the DBZ arcs, whereas this game is yeah. just straight up like you this is are a retelling yeah yeah
1: and you play I've... as you play as like all the important characters you play as you know Piccolo Gohan Vegeta and Goku hmm. you you don't play as like Yamcha or TM or TN <laughs> but uh who really cares that much <laughs> they don't really do yeah. anything all that interesting to be honest
0: um i've actually considered giving kakarot a shot because i haven't like there is like, I've seen so little of DBZ, I thought this might be, like, a good way to, like, get it, you know? Like, to understand it without feeling like I had to watch the entire show-type situation. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, though. I guess if I guess it does depend on how good of a sale I can find. <laughs> Which yeah. I'm pretty sure I've seen it on big sales before anyways, so I doubt it's that hard to do.
1: You might also be interested, if you're just interested in, like, catching up on Dragon Ball Z or, you know seeing the highlights there was a show that aired on i think the hub called dragon ball z kai and it basically cut out a lot of the fluff uh like i think it cut out an entire episode where frieza was charging up his bomb that was gonna blow up namek (laughs) (laughs) like i said i've I've always enjoyed dragon ball (laughs) even if i'm not a huge anime fan otherwise I wish they would do something similar to Kakarot for Naruto.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. That's like the one anime that I have truly enjoyed. But even then, it's so long. I only made it like like less than two seasons into Shibuden. And I was just like, this is so much. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, I know there's like the Ninja Storm games, but I don't necessarily want to sit through that many different games and having to completely start over with my progression and everything. Yeah. Plus, I think those only focus on the fights, right? I don't think there's, like... like, uh, Kakarot has, like, an open world to explore. Or a semi-open world. I guess it's open zone, like Sonic.
0: The little bit I've played of the Ninja Storm games, it's... uh, There's not, like, a lot of exploration. There's, like, an open hub world type thing that you, like, has some exploring to do, but not a lot. Mm. And then it basically is just, like a short cutscene, and then you're in the next fight. It's definitely not, like, as... It's not meant to be, like, a full story recap or anything like that. But again, I've only played, like, the first and maybe the second one, and it was, you know, years ago, so I could be very well misremembering that. (laughs)
1: Kakarot, at least from, you know, what I know of the first couple of arcs of Dragon Ball Z, it hits on everything important, and then it also has... it, It is an RPG, so, like, it has side missions that kind of fill out information about, you know, this character wasn't in this arc at all, (laughs) or maybe this character isn't even in Dragon Ball Z, but, like, what are they up to? I I know you watched a fair bit of the original Dragon Ball. I don't know how much, but...
0: (laughs) Not a whole lot. You know, like, there are characters
1: from the original Dragon Ball that are in Kakarot that barely showed up in Z. I wouldn't recommend playing the game just for that. Like, you're not... Seeing what android 8 was doing during dragon ball z isn't gonna change your life but (laughs) (laughs) yeah just something fun on the side but uh, that's enough dragon ball talk uh jordan what have you been up to uh
0: a lot of things actually but i've decided to hold off on a few of them until a little bit later uh what i want to talk about now is a movie i went to see uh called dungeons and dragons honor among thieves This was a movie I was not anticipating. Uh, I I had no expectations for. I saw the first trailer for it, like, last year and thought, well, that's going to suck, and kind of turned off any interest in it. But then I saw some reviews from some people that I follow on Twitter that are normally, like, really hard on movies that were actually still really into this one. So I thought, like, that was that was enough of a push where I will go see it. I still went to like the super cheap theater, not like one of the nice ones where I like I went to like a crappy theater in a like grocery store parking lot type situation and like uh I was just like that way it wouldn't be a huge loss if it was bad. Did but you I- go
1: to the same one where we went to see One of the Star Wars
0: movies? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I paid less for a movie ticket and my popcorn and drink than I would have for just the movie ticket at an actual theater. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, not a bad movie. I'm not going to pretend it's some high art, excellent, like, genre-defining work, but as a capture of what playing DD is like it was really cool because this is not a movie about the world of DD. like there is some lore and there's some world building but by and large that stuff goes on the back burner in lieu of focusing on like the party dynamics and some of the weird and wild stuff that you get into when you're playing D and and I think that it really captures that side of it, like, extremely well. Like it has it has a stellar cast that have some really interesting takes on like standard fantasy tropes. Um, and I think it does a good job of sort of capturing like you know, the, the things I've the things that really stood out to me as being like true to the D D experience is there's a scene where a character, you know, they're they're approaching this really complex puzzle about you know you have to step on certain tiles in this particular order but you have to the rules are this and then they change to this and then they change to this like it's this really complicated puzzle that's being laid out in front of them and then one of the characters is just like oh well instead i'm going to use this magic item that just lets me completely ignore all of this and uh there's a you know a couple scenes where they have to keep reanimating corpses to ask them questions because they don't do a very good job using the speak with dead spell. And like, that's something that we have absolutely done when playing d and it's, it's a really good like capture of the d d player experience converted into actual events happening in the Forgotten Realms as a, as its own self-contained story. I mean, again, I'm not going to pretend it's some excellent thing, but as just like a fun action flick with a lot of love for the D&D brand and the D&D game, I thought it was really cool. I'm not sure that it will necessarily hit with people that haven't played DD or that aren't really interested in it to begin with. Like, I'm not sure it's a good enough standalone story to really, you know, reach a lot of other folks. But as someone that's really, really into DD, I liked it a lot. My only gripe is the fact that everyone in the main party is humanoid. Like in the D&D world, there's like Eric Krokras who are bird people, and there's turtles that are half turtle, and there's mouse folk, and, um, now there's even, like, there's even a new class that's, like, living gelatinous ooze that's roughly taken a human shape. Uh, very wild characters they could have gone with. And those things are still in the movie. But I guess for the sake of not having to do a ton of CGI or weird prosthetics or weird makeup, everyone in the main cast just looks like a normal human. And they're not all human. There's, like, a half-elf and a tiefling and something else. But they all just look like regular people. Even the tiefling is still just a white woman. <laughs> uh, which it, is... It's the same
1: reason that Spider-Man's constantly taking his mask off. <laughs>
0: you right. Know? You don't just want to keep constantly animating over the actual acting. Um, and I get why they do it. It was just kind of a bummer that like this is a weird fantasy world and all the characters are just like normal dudes. Or all the main characters are, are just normal people. Yeah. Um,
1: do you know this is actually the fourth D&D movie, though? And the first one had Marlon Wayans in it?
0: Interesting. I didn't know that.
1: He played yeah. a character named Snails. It's never explained why he's called that.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, the, uh, the absolute standouts of this movie are uh, Reggae jean Page and Sophia Lillis, and neither of them are in the movie nearly enough. Maybe it's a spoiler, but I'm going to spoil it anyways. The advertising implies that two of the major characters in the movie are part of the main party of the movie, and they are not. And that's really frustrating to me, because they're both characters that really would have benefited from being part of the main party, <laughs> because they were they were both characters that were excellent in what they were in. They were just not in it nearly as much as the promotional material would have made you think.
1: Dang, it's crazy that Chris Pine's only in five minutes of this movie. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. If you like Dungeons and Dragons, I recommend giving it a shot. Even if your initial, uh, you know, even if your initial reaction to the trailers and stuff were like mine and <coughs> thinking it was going to be some like really cheesy like MCU style humor, uh, it is the it is that. But I think it handles it a little more carefully. Than some of the recent Marvel stuff has
1: (laughs) plus it's got Chris Pine in it and he's great great. in everything I've seen.
0: Honestly, the the whole cast, the whole cast of this movie is exceptional. I mean,
1: honestly, one of the things that made me less interested to see it was just like how many famous people were in the cast. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, this is just a cash in They're They're like, Oh, we put Michelle Rodriguez in the movie. She's from fast and the furious. You guys love that movie. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I went to Target earlier today and they had action figures for the movie. So, like, you can just buy a Hugh Grant action figure,
0: (laughs) which is really funny. (laughs) They do a pretty good job of explicitly explaining everyone else's, like, what their class is in the actual D&D game side of it and, like, sort of what their specialties are. They don't ever explain what Hugh Grant's character actually does. I think he might be a commoner. Which is very funny considering how, like, how much they played him up in the, uh, like promotional material. Like, he's just kind of along for the ride in a very, very interesting way. Well, that's enough Dungeons and Dragons. Which also means that's enough totally biased media podcasts. (laughs) If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram at TotallyBiasedMedia. Third, you can send an email to TotallyBiasedMedia at gmail.com. And fourth, you can check us out on Twitch, twitch.tv slash TotallyBiasedMedia. Uh, we're in the midst of the year of the Kong. We have overcome Donkey Kong Country 2, which I, my understanding is the toughest thing we're going to have to do this year. And now we are on to Donkey Kong Country 3. We're trying to stream every weekend. We're going to get through the whole Donkey Kong Country series plus Donkey Kong 64. I don't know if that's a country game or not, technically, but regardless, we're gonna play it. If you wanna check out all of our Donkey Kong shenanigans, it's twitch.tv slash totally biased media. But for the Totally Biased Media podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup.
1: I'm Jason Simmons.
2: And I'm Jackson Walkup.
1: You just felt the bias. Did
2: you snap when you did that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I can hear it. I <laughs> always snap. We went over this. I snapped into a finger gun.
2: <laughs> I've never actually heard it. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>